Hey there, my slog and hump children. How are y'all doing? It's been a little while since I got up to work here. I'm on nights. And I'm finally getting decent sleep during the day. It took took my body a little while to figure out that, yep, you gotta sleep in the day. So I am up a little earlier and refreshed and ready to go for night shift. I got some time and I want to read a couple chapters of Acts to you because we're in a really cool, critical, fun, informative portion of Acts where it focuses on Paul, or Saul, I should say, right now, soon to be Paul. And it is one of the um, greatest moments of history as far as I can see uh, in a person's life that has ever been documented in historical texts. And yep, that historical text is the Bible. And yes, we're talking about Saul uh, becoming a Christ follower and coming to know and understand the truth of who Jesus was on earth and is in heaven at the time he comes to believe. And it's just an amazing thing that happened that changed the course of history, all part of God's perfect plan. Uh, but I want you to kind of sit back and think about, you know, Paul's personal conversion from not knowing Jesus and hating people who followed Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus. It's just an amazing thing that happened, and you can never give it enough um, enough emphasis or thought about how that impacted the rest of the world. But anyways, we read, I think we read through chapter 8. I'd like to go back and read chapter 8 again. Chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7 is when Stephen was stoned. And I remember asking you guys questions about what Stephen was like right before he got stoned. What was his countenance and his attitude and his demeanor? How did he appear on the outside? Was he scared? Was he angry? Was he courageous? Was he at peace? Was he uh, regretful? or pouting, or angry, or was he forgiving, was he understanding, was he kind, was he malicious back towards his attackers and murderers? I just want you to think about how Stephen met his death, and met his murderers, and, well, I'll just read it here. Acts chapter 7, verse... Okay, we'll start with verse 58. Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Then they, this would be the Pharisees and the religious leaders and all the people who decided to follow them, follow them. Chapter, uh, verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
So picture that, you guys. Hey, Saul, you're here watching this. We're going to lay our, our jackets and our robes down by you. Just, just keep track of these for us while we take care of this uh, Stephen problem. And Saul stood by and watched. Here's a question for you. You guys will get it. Somebody will get it really quick, I'm sure. Who else, maybe back towards like the beginning of the Bible, stood by passively and watched something very, very unfortunate and tragic and sinful happen? Who stood by and passively watched somebody else sin? Uh, maybe like in the Garden of Eden? So there's a similarity here, you guys. Yep, I think somebody got it already. I don't know for sure. I'm not there with you. Somebody else, like uh, Adam, stood by and watched his dear wife Eve fall into deception with the serpent, whom we know as Satan. And he just stood there and watched it all happen. He didn't speak up or lift a finger. He just watched it happen. And you'll see that Saul does the same thing here with Stephen and the sin of the people as they stoned him. Always look for similarities in the Bible if you can compare them. And God does that. You know, he, he traces uh, themes in the Bible. So passively standing by and watching people do bad things is really bad. And we shouldn't do that. Okay, chapter 7, verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Okay. So, Gideon, you said it last time when I was reading. You said, oh, yeah, Stephen, the first martyr. And that's definitely true. Stephen was the first person, at least documented in the Bible, to lose his life uh, representing his belief and his faith and walking in the knowledge and truth of who Jesus was. And man, did he put it to the Pharisees and the religious leaders earlier in chapter 7. I mean, for a cool guy who forgave his murderers and kept a super attitude all the way through uh, when he became unconscious for stones hitting him, he really brought conviction and even condemnation down on the religious leaders earlier in chapter 7. Anyways... I just wanted to go back and review chapter 7 a tiny bit. So let's do chapter 8 now. And I'm reading from the ESV. It doesn't matter which version you're reading from there. NIV, New King James. Um, chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria 
except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is because the religious leaders, I'm stopping here at the end of verse 2, the religious leaders had authority through the Romans to do this. They said, hey, these people are causing disruptions in society. We need to throw them all in jail. This, this Jesus that they go around preaching, it makes them do really disruptive things. And if we're not careful, if we don't snuff this out right now, if we don't, well, it's almost as bad as them leaving their stinky socks on the couch and on the floor. It's so disruptive and just horrible. Sorry, Lil. I had to get that little dig on in you there, but that's what the religious leaders were communicating to the Roman overlords, we'll call them. They were, uh, they were saying, hey, if we don't put a stop to this Jesus stuff, this Christ following, these, these crazy people that go against the religious establishment, whom you have a very good relationship with, Mr. Roman leaders, there's going to be an uprising so, that's what Saul did. He went around and terrorized the church, ravaged the church, and went into their houses. They might have been having prayer meetings, or you wouldn't call them Bible studies because the Bible hadn't been put into a book. But he went in and found them singing psalms and, and worshiping Jesus and maybe taking communion. Drug them off and had them thrown in prison. That was Saul's job as a Pharisee, as a religious leader. And he thought he was doing his job well. And he thought he was pleasing God. Isn't that crazy? And you guys, that stuff still happens today. In one form or another. Okay, I'm going to pick up again. Chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs he did. See, guys, Jesus allowed the early uh, the disciples and apostles to do signs and miracles and proofs of the might and the power and the glory of God right then and there. What an amazing time. Verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. That had been so cool, you guys. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic. This is evil magic, you guys. Who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, 
as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So this was nothing compared to his uh, evil magic tricks that, you know, Satan and evil spirits can, can make happen. That's for sure. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord... They returned to Jerusalem, praying the gospel, oh, I'm sorry, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Sumerians. Okay, I got to stop there, kiddos. So there was this Simon, a magician, doing tricks and amazements and maybe using some evil power to amaze people. But then it said he believed, he believed the message that Philip was preaching and he was actually baptized. And we know that once you believe, we are commanded to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as our first act of obedience as believers. And Simon did this. But then we know, what about Peter from the first, I don't know, six chapters? He, he's always the one who stands up. And he's the one who calls out sin really quick. And I wouldn't want to cross Peter, especially as a new believer in the new church, because if there's something amiss or something not right, Peter's going to call it out. And sure enough, he called out Simon. Um, at, you know, if Simon believed and then was baptized and still had some, you know, just because you're saved and then you obey with baptism doesn't mean you know everything about being uh, how to follow Jesus and about uh, walking uh, rightly before God. 
And sure enough, Simon says, oh my goodness, just I'll give you money. Give me the Holy Spirit. I, I want this power. I want, I want this thing that I'm seeing. And Peter says, no, <laughs> don't you dare try and buy the Holy Spirit from me. And you need to repent. You need to understand that that's wrong and confess it and have Jesus wash you clean of that of, of that sin because that's how it happens. That's not what exactly what the word says here. I'm probably adding a little more to the story, but that's what we know is that Peter um, condemned and commanded Simon to repent of trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit instead of just receiving the Holy Spirit. But after that, Peter, I'm sorry, Simon said, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. So I don't know if, so what I'm trying to say, kiddos, is this uh, Simon, Simon the magician and his conversion, and then Peter uh, lighting him up and uh, telling him he needs to repent, and then Simon asking for prayer. I don't know that story too well, except for what I read to you, but it's very interesting. And um, there's more lessons in that little story than what I can help communicate to you. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can learn more about that story and see what other pastors and Bible scholars have to say about it. I just thought it was cool. I thought it was kind of neat. Okay, anyways, pardon my little uh, sidetrack there. I'm going to keep reading in chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Where's Gaza? You guys know where Gaza is. Egypt, I think. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Oh, this is really cool. Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. You can use that joking around with Auntie Candace. I'm sure she'll get a kick out of it. And it won't be the first time she's heard it. And he, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this in Isaiah. And let me see. My side notes say, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, quote, 
Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. End quote. And the eunuch said to Philip, and you guys, a eunuch is like a, a royal servant, uh, basically, is how I understand it. And uh, sometimes eunuchs, I think most times eunuchs, even gave up their uh, right to have children. We're usually talking about male servants. So eunuchs were male servants, and they could be very high up in the, uh, they could be like the boss of the treasury or the boss of the entire court or staff of a, a king and queen. They were very powerful individuals in some cases, or they were, some of them were, uh, you know, basic servants. But anyways, verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Oh, goodness, you guys, this is so rich right here. This is somebody just like us sitting here thinking, what, what's this Old Testament stuff all about? Is, is this about them or is this about somebody else? Is this about Jesus, about the Savior guy? I mean, this is just amazing. I'm trying to make sense of it. And kiddos, if you ever read the Bible and say, man, I don't quite get this. What's this all about? Who's this talking about? What are, what are they talking about? Hey, you're in good company because uh, one of the, let's just call them like the equivalent would be like the uh, mayor of Anchorage or one of the mayor's assistants or even higher, like one of the governor's chief staff members trying to make sense of the Old Testament but luckily, Philip was there. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So Jesus is all through the Old Testament. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's some water. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That is the end of chapter 8. Did you guys catch what just happened to Philip? Philip met a very powerful individual from the country of Ethiopia, a court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He was trying to read 
uh, Isaiah and understand whom Isaiah was referring to, Philip picked up and told him about Jesus, Jesus in the Old Testament, and now Jesus and what he did just earlier, you know, a, a year or two earlier. And he believes, and obviously uh, the eunuch knew about Jesus' command to be baptized after you believe. And he said, hey, what's stopping me? And would Philip say, nothing, let's do it. So Philip baptized him. And what did God do? What did God do after the eunuch was baptized that would have built the eunuch's faith in some crazy, amazing way? I will read for you here. Verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. You guys, as soon as the eunuch, picture this in your head, close your eyes. As soon as this fella came up out of the water, after he was baptized, he looked at Philip, and Philip disappeared. Can you imagine that? That is so awesome. Now, how awesome would that be for Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, sitting back in Ethiopia, to be sitting there and one of her highest uh, court officials comes in and tells her his story of becoming a follower of Jesus and then getting baptized and then seeing somebody disappear right before his eyes. One of Jesus' closest uh, followers and uh, apostles. Can you imagine how amazed and excited she would have been to hear one of her trusted ser servants tell this story? Do you think she may have uh, thought about becoming a follower of Jesus herself? And maybe even helped other people become Christ followers after that? I don't know. We can look into that one a little more, but that's just an amazing part of chapter 8 to me here. So, my goodness, we just witnessed some really cool, amazing stories here about Saul and about how the gospel is spreading And kind of just blew my mind there. Got to be honest with you, kiddos. I need to study Acts more so I can do a better job of teaching you guys. If you want to study Acts and teach me, that's wonderful. I would encourage you to do that. I hope you do that. But, yeah, there, God is moving. Jesus is moving. And the Holy Spirit is moving in amazing ways, doing mighty miracles and wondrous acts to establish the uh, early church. So, much more to learn. You do not know everything about Acts chapter 8. Let me just tell you that right now. I know next to nothing about Acts chapter 8. 
I just read it to you and commented a little bit. I got to be really honest with you, kiddos. There's so much more to learn and understand and just meditate on and let your spirit absorb uh, the truths of what we heard and all the implications there. So I want to pray and then I got to shave and go to work. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for letting us come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We give you all the honor and praise and glory. And I just thank you for what you did through your Son, Jesus. Father, thank you so much for your word that's here before us. The truth of reality, the truth of history, the truth of heaven, and the truth of uh, what you how you want us to relate to you and who you are, how you want us to understand you. Father, I confess I know so little, yet there's so much to be understood about your word and comprehended. And Lord, I just ask that as the kids grow in their faith, that you would um, keep adding to their knowledge and their understanding and their wisdom and the subs the substance of their faith um, by reading your word and under uh, digesting uh, your word with their spirits, Lord God. I ask you, Lord, that you would bring good teachers, good Bible teachers and preachers into their lives, and that you would open their spiritual ears, and that you would open their spiritual eyes to truly hear and to truly see with their spirits so that they would know you and understand who you are and love you and love you. And even though we don't see any of this, Lord, I ask that you would manifest the reality of your word and who you are into their spirits and uh, that this, your message, Lord Jesus, of who you are and what, who your Holy Spirit is, and who you are, Heavenly Father. I pray that that fact would become the most real and eternal thing in their lives. And it's, Father, it's crazy to think that the things we don't see are the most real and eternal things in our lives, but it's true. I believe it to be true. Help us to live that way, Father. Most of all, Lord God, I love you and I thank you I thank you that I get to read your word to my earthly children, Father, and I I pray that they would be uh, yours and that they would call upon you as their heavenly Father and that your son's precious blood would redeem them and bring them into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord God. My, my words fail me, but please uh, let your love... Uh, your love and your character and your nature cover my children and uh, be first and foremost into, into their lives. In your mighty name, Lord Jesus, I thank you and I ask these things. Amen. Okay, love you kiddos. Got to get to work. I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.